Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Uh, just let me take a survey real quick. How many have an Alexa in your house? The, oh, wow. How many have one and you actually use it? Let me just see. Wow. Wow, there was like, everybody's hands went up, and then only two said they really use it, all right? Uh, that's it. I, I, the, the first time I ever experienced Alexa, I was actually at somebody's house, and I'd never, I, I had no clue what it was. I, I'm usually a little behind the times in technology. Can I get an amen on that, anybody, right? And, uh, and, and so I was sitting on a couch, and me and this guy were talking about going on a motorcycle ride. And I said, well, let's see what the weather is tomorrow, and let's plan it out. And I was looking for my cell phone, and his wife was in the room. And she said, hey, Alexa, what is the weather going to be tomorrow? And I, I, I thought maybe she needed prayer because she just started speaking to the air to herself. And, and all of a sudden, from right, literally right in back of me, right here, Alexa said, the weather tomorrow is going to be. And it kind of freaked me out, man. Uh, it, it really did kind of freak me out. And then uh, I've told that story before, and people ask me now, they said, well, do you have an Alexa now in your house? And I thought about that. I said, man, when you talk, when you say, hey, Alexa, she lights up. And I thought, I don't need an Alexa in my house. I have Patty. And when I say her name, she lights up just the same. And uh, come on now. Woo! And, um, but, but having an Alexa is like having a miracle in the house. I mean, you can tie it into your TV and you're like, it's just crazy. Hey, Alexa, turn on the TV. Hey, Alexa, cook me dinner. That one isn't working yet. I don't quite get that. But having Alexa is a little bit like having a miracle in the house. And that's exactly what I want to talk about tonight. And tonight is one of those messages that I hope I can come across in a way where I don't spaz out and I don't yell and lose my voice and jump around the stage like some people do, and uh, that I can just talk to you in a way that I feel like um, uh, th- that maybe we're just out having coffee. I just want to share some stories with you that I hope will encourage you, and I hope God will use it and leverage it to ask us about what's in your house. What's inside of you? What seed of greatness, what potential, what hope, what dream is still lying there? And maybe tonight's message will be the catalyst that will birth something that you've never even considered in your life. I first heard this message about 26 years ago, and I'm just going to admit to you right here that I stole it 100% of it from my pastor, Tommy Barnett, and, and the, the year that he preached it, he also released the book by the same title, uh, if you want to get it, There's a Miracle in Your House. I remember hearing that message, and it just, it just wrecked me, in a good way, of course, and it, it, just, it just really uh, just changed me, and, and, and so... Um, and so I thought tonight it would be maybe a little bit better if I let Pastor Tommy Barnett introduce this message. Uh, so let's check out what he has to say. Today I'm going to preach you a message that I really, really love. Matter of fact, it's probably done more to help America than any sermon that I've ever preached. Have you ever wondered why old preachers have a hard time stopping? They just keep on going. Because we really believe that every one of us will have a time in our life that we can do something that will change perhaps the world. Maybe somebody that we reach, somebody we inspired, and maybe they went out and reached the world. 
Such was the case when Chris Hodges came to pastor's conference. Little pastor, matter of fact, he was a youth pastor, but God touched his life. Today he pastors the largest church in America. It was right here in this conference. This conference, God changed his life. And then there's Jensen Franklin, set in this audience in this balcony, got up here and told us it was this place that he came to when he just took his little church of a hundred, and this was the thing that got him going. And of course, you've heard me talk about the time that I preached at the National Black Pastors Conference in Washington, D.C. And I was the only Caucasian on the program. And I said, why in the world did you invite me? Everybody knows that these black preachers are the greatest preachers in the world. You have just set me up for failure. Why did you invite me? They said, we invited you because you've got a black heart. Amen. <laughs> well, I, I preached my black heart out that day. I was in fast company, and I knew I had to do my best. And you know how in the black church the music plays when the preacher gets with it, and they kind of get in the rhythm. So I got in the rhythm. Man, I began to preach, and I got so inspired, I started rapping. Amen, you know. <laughs> I knew it was in fast company, and I had to get with it. Little did I realize that in that audience was a young preacher who said, God, if you'll just get me out of here alive, I want to be the miracle in the house that Pastor Barnett is preaching about today. He went home to his little church of a hundred, and it exploded. And soon he got on national television and stirred America by his message. Several years later, he invited me to come and speak at his first pastor's conference. He told that story, and he said, I made up my mind that if I ever had my conference, that Pastor Barnett would be invited to speak at the first day. Well, there were over 8,000 pastors in that audience that day. You might have heard of him. He was on the cover of Time magazine not too long ago. They call him the new Billy Graham. His name was T.D. Jakes. The point I'm trying to make is this. I didn't know that Chris Hodges and Jensen Franklin and T.D. Jakes, I did not know they were sitting in that audience that day. There was a miracle that was in the house. And today, I'm as excited to preach this message as I was when I introduced it 26 years ago. Because I believe there are miracles in this house. Maybe the next Billy Graham. Maybe the next T.D. Jakes. Maybe the next Mother Teresa. Maybe the great next educator. Maybe the great next great entrepreneur. But today... I'm on a search for the miracle that is in this house. Could it be you? Amen. Come on, man. You know, I really believe that, and, and I believe there's miracles in this house, and you might be one that you have no idea what God might be getting ready to do in your life. And, and um, I, I was just thinking how conservative he was being there. I had the privilege of being invited to his 70th birthday party. And, of course, I said I'd go, and... I knew it was going to be in Phoenix, but I didn't know that they would rent the Phoenix Sun Auditorium for his 70th birthday party. Well, I thought, well, that's cool. And when I walked in, the place was jam-packed like there was an a NBA basketball game going on. I got to go in the back green room, and 
And I listen to people tell stories, and those names that he just said, they were all there, and Joyce Myers came walking in, and, and, and Brian Houston from Hillsong in Australia, and it was just so many people, and every one of them talked about how that if it wasn't for Tommy Barnett inspiring them, they wouldn't be in the ministry today, and the ripple effect, and I just thought, you know what, I'm never going to change the world. But what if we can inspire some people right here that you're the miracle in the house and we can change our world? Amen, everybody. Come on, give the Lord a good hand clap. So in 2016, there was a handful of us meeting in a little in a little coffee shop. Matter of fact, I make it sound good, but but it was really the back storage room of the coffee shop, and and it was nasty. I'm just letting you know that when it rained, we had buckets out everywhere, and about 30 of us started gathering. We started talking about the idea of what would it look like if we came back into Skagit Valley and we launched a church. And, uh, and I can just tell you, I, I, was a, I, I was a little bit intimidated, and, and, and I didn't really have nothing except I had unfinished business to do. And I felt like God had put on my heart that we had unfinished business, and, and I had all kind of excuses. Have you guys ever had any excuses for not doing something God's called you to do? Come on, don't leave me up here all by myself now, all right? And, uh, and I didn't have any denominational support. I didn't have some big mother church that was going to financially support us. And at the time, it just felt like me and Patty. We'd show up to that coffee shop right before they closed. We'd clean it up as fast as we can. We'd pray. We'd cross our fingers and say, God, please let somebody show up here tonight. And even back then in that little coffee shop, when I was making all the excuses, I was kind kind of dragging my feet. Because it's one thing to start a Bible study. It's another thing to go ahead and say, okay, God, I'll start a church. And I had all kind of excuses about, God, how are we going to raise the funds? How are, where are we going to get a building? Will people, you know, I just left here four years ago. Will people laugh me out of town? And God reminded me of this message. And literally, it was like, this was it, because God reminded me. He said, everything that you're going to need is right now in the house. There's 30 people in the house, and that's what will get you to the next level. And when you're ready to go to the next level, everything you'll need at that level will be right there in the house. And when you're ready to go to the next level, everything will be right there in the house. And I believe that God is getting ready to propel Radius to a whole nother level. And I believe there's some miracles in the house to get us to where God wants us to go. And I remember we took our very first off. We had never taken an offering. Matter of fact, Lynn Balzer, who goes to this church, he came to me one Saturday night when we were doing Bible study. He said, are you ever going to take an offering? I said, you know, I just didn't want to take an offering. He said, well, let's do it. And that was all I needed. You know, he's in his 80s. I feel like respect your elders. I'll go with it. And, uh, and I'll never forget those 30 people. They gave $17,000 in our very first legacy offering, and we used 100% of it to start Radius Church, and here we are today. There was a miracle in the house, everybody. When we talk about winning through weakness, which is, this is kind of my, kind of my last part of this, I think. And when we talk about winning through weakness, there's a lady in the scripture that epitomizes the miracle in the house and winning through weakness better than anybody else I know. So let me read it to you. And tonight, um, I know that most of the time you come and I have sermon points and here's three points. 
Tonight, I just kind of want to meander through this verse. Is that all right? And I'm just going to pull out some of my favorite statements and phrases. I'm going to talk about them. I'm just, going to, I'm, I'm just going to kind of share some testimony and some story a little bit. And I hope God will use it. Let's read it. 2 Kings chapter number 4. Uh, great story. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Now that says something to me right there. It says you can love the Lord and be in debt. Mm -hmm. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing. Have you ever felt like that? In 2016, when God said, I want you to launch Radius Church, I felt like this lady. God, I don't have what it takes. God, I'm too old now. God, I left here prematurely. Lord, there's rumors about me. God, I don't have any money. Come on. Have you ever done anything like that? I said, Lord, I have nothing in the house. And then this changes the whole story. She said, except a a small jar of olive oil. Come on. Every one of us here have an except in our life. We might not feel like we're the most talented or the strongest or the smartest or the fastest, but every one of us, somewhere inside of us, we have an accept, and that's the thing that God can use. He said, accept a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. And she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept on pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But, the, but he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing, and she went in and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Woo! I love that story. And I'll tell you again, I was intimidated. I was intimidated not only in 2016 to start this church, but I want to I go down memory lane a little bit with you. I started in ministry when I was 19 years old, and I'd never been to Bible college. I, I grew up kind of in the church, but without any real parental influence in my life. And I'd never been in a church bigger than 80 people. I'd always gone to these little storefront churches or little country churches. that, um, and, and I'd just really never experienced ministry on a bigger level. I found myself at 27 years old uh, being offered an invitation to come take a church that was in bankruptcy. I think that's why they called me, because all the good preachers said no to them, and I was just too dumb to know what it meant to be in bankruptcy. They were in a million-dollar debt, and they only had a handful of people left in a suburb of Detroit. And I took that church at 27 years old, and I was intimidated. I was intimidated because I knew inside I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the best preacher in town. I hadn't been to Bible college. And how I many know you can just make up all kinds of excuses why you shouldn't do something, right? And I thought, man, if I'm ever going to do this, i gotta, I, I got to figure some things out. I'd heard of this guy by the name of Tommy Barnett that every February he had a thing called Pastor School, which was really just a conference. And, um, and I lived in Detroit, and his conference was in Phoenix, and it happened to be every year in February. I mean, no, I didn't need to hear from God very much to go to Phoenix in February, right? And so I, I got on a plane, I went to Phoenix, and 
I walked in right on time. I'll never forget, it was Monday night, and the service was starting at 7 o'clock. I walked in at 7 o'clock, and now remember, I'd never been in a church more than 80 people in my whole life. I walked into this place, and my mind was blown. It, it, first of all, there was the main auditorium, then there was a balcony, and then there was a second balcony, and there was not a seat to be found in the place. Pastor Tommy got up on that platform, and he began to, they did, the first night it was th- something called the Parade of Ministries. They had over 300 ministries in the church, and they would parade across the stage, and occasionally he'd stop and interview them, and the biker ministry came off, and the street ministries, and the bus ministry, and the wheelchair people, and they kept coming, and the more I was watching it, I should have been getting inspired, but instead of getting inspired, I think I was sitting there getting depressed, because I was thinking, man, there is no way I could ever do anything close to this. And I started talking myself out of it. And I started thinking, there's no way. And then the very next night, I went back. And the next night, he preached this message, there's a miracle in the house. And all of a sudden, the idea of church totally changed for me. It's not about me building the church. It's about Jesus building his church. And if we would just empower people and release people and let the church be the platform for you to do the things that God has put in your life and to inspire people to discover what are the dreams, What are the plans and the purposes? What are the giftings that God has put in you? And instead of me building my platform, we build a platform for you to be used by God because there's a miracle in the house. Come on, everybody. And I'm going to tell you, that's exactly what we did. No kidding. I wish I had all these people here, but let me just tell you a few. I went home, and two weeks later, this guy came into my office by the name of Bob Illis. Bob Illis came in. He was a college a, a, a Bible college dropout. He said nobody would believe in him. He couldn't get the funds to finish college. He said, uh, me and my wife, we just love kids, and we could do puppets. I thought, puppets? Last puppets I seen was on the Howdy Doody show. I don't, I don't know about puppets. He said, we'll do puppets for kids. And I just empowered Bob Illis, and they started going to town. Next thing he knew, I knew he wanted to start bringing these kids uh, into the church, and we raised the money, and we bought a bus. And then we bought a second bus, and then we bought a third bus. And finally, we couldn't afford to buy more buses because they're legal. Leaking oil on the on the new parking lot out there, and people are complaining that there's oil stains all over the parking lot, and we can't store all these buses. Matter of fact, somebody came to me and said, "Look at the big oil spots these buses are making out here." I said, "Imagine the days of D.L. Moody, what their transportation left in the parking lot." How many know what I'm talking about, right? And. And so I said, well, why don't we start going to them instead of having the kids come to us? He said, that's a good idea. He said, should we rent a building? I said, man, we can't afford to rent a building. Just go out there and call it Saturday Sunday School. And he said, it gets cold in the wintertime. And we sent him out there. And before we knew it, we had six and seven hundred kids showing up every Saturday in the cold just to hear that God loved them. Kids from the projects, kids from the inner city, just somebody that was sitting in the house that got tired of just hearing a sermon on Sunday and said, I might be the miracle that's sitting in the house. Come on now. 
I had a lady by the name of Kathy that came to me one day and said, look, God's put on my heart to go out and minister to all these uh, single moms that are pregnant, that are coming off drugs, and we're trying to find housing and ministry for them. At that time, we had bought a building that we were refurbishing and had a dormitory on it. Three stories, three stories of dorm rooms. I said, look, I don't have any money I can give you, but we got a building. And this lady started the first, at that time, the first in America. She was just sitting in the church. The first in America where she would get these pregnant ladies that had been abused, that had been coming off drugs, that had dropped out of high school, and they could live on our campus for one year. We would feed them, we'd help them get their GEDs, and they would have their babies, and they all had their own little nurseries right there. That was another, come on, miracle right there in the house. What I'm trying to say is maybe God has something inside of you that you've never considered. Some of you remember when I brought Skip here. How many remember Big Bruiser Skip, right? Skip, man, the first time he came to church, he sat out there with his arms folded, looking at me really mean. I was scared, so I preached longer and longer. I thought I could, out, I, I could outlast him, and I kept preaching. And, and before we knew it, I, I wanted to open a gym. My wife taught Skip how to read, and then I let him be in charge of the gym. We had this big gym with an indoor Olympic pool, locker rooms, and we had this giant room, probably about the size of both of the kids and this ministry. I said, man, we need to get some weights and get some of those weightlifting guys in here. He said, I know just the guy. And so he invited me over to a guy's house by the name of Barrett Strong. And I thought, well, man, I... I or, or actually, he invited Barrett Strong to come to church. So I'm preaching. I see Skip sitting there by Barrett Strong. And I said to him, after I heard you have some weightlifting equipment, as far as I knew, he owned weightlifting equipment. So he invited us over to his house. I showed up. It was the biggest mansion in Detroit I have ever seen in my life. I walked in, and he had this room in his house with all this brand-new weightlifting equipment. And as I was walking in his house, I was walking down the hallways, and all down the hallways were gold records. And I looked at him closer, and it was, Papa was a rolling stone, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Heard it through the grapevine. Bear it strong. And I was like, you wrote all these songs? And before I knew it, we made a deal. He gave us $70,000 of weightlifting equipment. Uh, all I had in my pocket, because I took an offering, was $10,000. I said, Mr. Strong, all I got is ten grand. He slammed his hand down on the counter and said, I'll take it as long as you get it out of here today. And it furbished our whole gym. We reached dozens and dozens of men because of that. And the next Sunday, Barrett Strong came to church again, gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ, and became a vital part. Come on. It's a miracle in the house. Let me tell you one more. Can I tell you one more? We're just storytelling tonight. I had this lady come to me and says, you know, God's blessed us, and we have good you know, finances, and I want to do something to reach those that are less fortunate. I always thought about opening a, uh, like a little store, a secondhand store kind of thing. I said, well, we got a warehouse that's not being used, and, and we could set it up right there. She started writing checks and getting people before I know it. It was the classiest secondhand store I had ever seen. What I didn't know is then her husband started coming to church with her. 
And then I recognized who she was. Her husband was Lindsey Hunter. He was one of the superstars on the Detroit Pistons basketball team. And they were sitting right there in the house. They opened this store. I remember from that time on, we would have these red carpet Sundays where we would gather all those that were needy. And we would roll out the red carpet. And we would treat them better than the Hollywood red carpet walk. We would take their pictures and ask for their autographs. And they would come in and get new clothes. And we would job train them. And all that happened because somebody realized they might be the miracle in the house. Come on, everybody. Every one of you that are either watching online or sitting in this room, can I tell you, whatever you do for a living that brings money in your house and puts food on the table, that's just, God's done that so that you can eat. But God has put in every one of us a spiritual gift. And God has put something that has eternal value in every one of us. Every single one of us. Now, it might not be one of those kind of stories that I just told you, but every one of us have a gift that God wants to use that he's put inside of you. And let me say this. I believe that God has put something inside of every one of you and everything we need to become a church of influence, a church of change, a church that is making an impact. How many of you know that Skagit Valley does not need another church just to get up on Sunday and preach another message? How many know that? We need a church that will reach the down and outers and reach the people that are searching. But let me tell you, I'm going to do my role, I'm going to use my gift, and I'm going, to, I'm going to do what's in my heart so we can do what's in our hand. What would it look like? Now, when I say that, please know, there are great churches in this city, and I'm not saying we're trying to be better than any of them. All I know is that, that the church is, should be an open circle, and we should be looking for those that need. Come on, everybody, right? And uh, so I'm going to let Pastor Barnett talk to you about this part again. When I first came to pastor this church, the church had been split. It had gone down from about 700 to 200 people. I looked at my congregation, and I had a split congregation. There was division. There were very few positive people that came forth in that church. And I said, God, what have I got in the house? When the first day I was here, a young man came up a block who lived a block away. He attended that church. He had not been real, real faithful, but he attended that church. And he sat down and told me his vision. He said, I'm a former football player, and I want to have an athletes conference, and I want to bring the greatest athletes in the world to this conference. And then he said, someday I want to I want to have a training center where I can bring the greatest athletes in the world and train them for the Olympics. The vision was so big, I thought, he'll never pull that off. But, but I didn't put it down. When people tell me a vision that I, I'm not going to convince they pull off, what do I do? I just say, praise God. So I said, praise God. Well, he proceeded and soon he had a small meeting of athletes. And then he had an athletes conference. And hundreds came. And then two or 3,000 of them came. One day somebody gave it the Phoenix Swim and Track Club. And he invited athletes from all over the world to come and train for the Sydney Olympics. We qualified 15 athletes 
from our club, our swim club, to go to the Olympics. And we won five gold medals, five silver medals, and three bronze medals. That's more than most, most nations of the world. And that all came about with somebody that was sitting in the church. A fellow that caught the vision and God moved in his life. There was a miracle right there in the church. Let me, let me take you to the next phrase in that message that I like. She, I, I'm kind of going to uh, paraphrase it a little bit, but she says, I have nothing, and then she uses the word except. Nothing. A lot of times we live in the nothing. I want to challenge you to start living in the except. Uh, a lot of times we live in that, well, I could never be a world changer. I'm not asking you to change the world. But what if you started inside your home and you changed your world? What if you started inside your web of influence? Uh, and instead of living in the nothing, what if we started living in the accept? When I came back to this community, I had nothing except a passion for unfinished business. I remember thinking, I, I, uh, on our very first legacy, I remember thinking, man, we just don't have what it takes to open a church, because I've always believed that we better at least have good children's ministry. Come on, how many know, people will put up a bad preaching if you take care of their kids good. And so I thought, we better have a good children's ministry. And I said, Lord, I don't have a children's pastor. I can't pay a child. I can't even pay me, much less a children's pastor. And the very week that we were talking about launching this church, Bonnie Dawson showed up. Woo, come on. And I talked about a little bit there. I didn't quite preach this whole message, but I talked about a miracle in the house and launching this church. And she talked to me afterwards. And man, as far as I'm concerned, she's the best children's pastor in the whole valley. Come on, everybody, right? I remember saying, I, I said, Lord, what we got to have to at least our church, we need, we, we need at least decent preaching. We need, we need children's ministry and we need worship. So now I have the children's part down. I was thinking, well, Lord, we don't have worship. And you know how finicky those musicians are. Right, Marlo? And I mean, how am I going to keep all them saved and put them on the stage? And Lord, we can't buy keyboards and sound systems and all of that. And my kids came up with a great idea. said, Dad, we listen to Elevation and Hillsong every single week. We could have the best bands in the world right in our church. Uh, we'll be the music pastor and you can pay us. All right. And, and that's what we did. How many know the miracle is in the house is what I'm trying to say? This lady in the scripture, she said, I have nothing. But then she said, except. And here's your tweetable moment. Watch this. Uh, uh, the tweetable moment is what you, do you got that uh, phrase right there? Because I can't say it without you. Uh, there it is. When you take what little you have and put it in the hands of God, it becomes a miracle. If your gift is just hospitality, put it in the hands of God and no telling how many people will be encouraged just because you have the gift of hospitality. If you have the gift of prayer and you don't want to be in the spotlight but you like praying, come on, just pray because you'll never know how many hundreds of people might get saved right here because you're somewhere praying can I get a good amen on that everybody come on we got to start putting what little we have and put it in the hands of God that's why when we talk about legacy weekend I never talk about what the amount is about it's the attitude because one person can write a ten thousand dollar check and the equal sacrifice for somebody to give ten dollars it's the attitude and when we all come together and put it in the hands of God. God can do incredible things with it. Amen, everybody. Come on now. The next thing that Elisha told her, he said, pour it into empty vessels. I love this point, but I'm going to let Pastor Barnett take it away. 
I want you to begin to pour that oil into jars. Now, when we talk about pouring, people get nervous. They think you're talking about tithing or giving to God. And people really struggle because they don't understand the principle here and the principle of tithing and giving to God. See, God does not need your money. She is told that he just needed her to pour. And the miracle would stop when, start rather, when she started pouring. And some of you want God to get involved in your finances. You need a miracle to take place. You've got to sow. You've got to pour. You've got to give a little. The Bible said in order to get much. And then he said, after you have poured and poured, the scripture said that the miracle stopped when they ran out of empty vessels. And that's why this church is reaching out all over. When I came to this church and we began to grow and this building began to be blessed and people were coming, being saved, just like, all right, I realized our church is getting stagnant. And God impressed him when he find a place that needed help and pour into him. Did you know that's one reason we went to L.A.? Because there was a need there. And as much as they needed us to be there, we needed to be there as a church. When you stop pouring, the vessels will be full. Come on, say a good amen. This is good preaching. One of the things I love about this point, about this whole concept, I want you to see this, this whole pouring thing. I think we spend too much time coming to church with this idea of, oh, I can't wait to get filled up. And I've been guilty. I preach it. And I want you to come to church and get filled up. I mean, we're the church with the gas pump on the stage, everybody. I want you to come here and I want you to get filled up. But sometimes I think we put way too much emphasis on getting filled up and not enough emphasis on getting spilled out. See, I think God really begins to move in a church, not just to come and get filled up, but when we come get filled up so we can go out and be spilled out. And I think that's when we see miracles. I think when we're pouring into other people and we're helping other people and we're being lights to other people and we're willing to have a good place to come to and get filled up, come on, let's not be selfish. Let's go out there and spill out to people because God loves people. And when we bless people, we get the attention of God and when we get the attention of God that's what makes church good everybody I think somehow we've shifted in America's culture where church has become about consuming rather than contributing I wonder what it would look like if we had both going on what if we had contributing so we could have some consumers come on everybody what if we would we, we would let others eat first before we ate twice ah maybe we should spend more time trying to be spilled out can i just tell you during during this covid pandemic we had some tough decisions to make during covid there was a couple months that our income was about half of what it normally is now we, as a church, we're just like you as a family. How many know when things are half as much, you start freaking out a little bit. How am I going to pay these bills? And I remember having our meeting with our trustees, and we talked about this. And, and we had a meeting with our staff, and I said, look, as long as we're here, the, the, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to give out. And there's not a single month that is missed that we haven't helped a single mama that needed help. 
There's not a single month that we've missed that we haven't gone out on Saturdays and brought blessing bags and goodie bags and food to the homeless. There's not a single month that we've missed because I truly believe that when we're pouring out, that's how we get the blessings of God on our life. But what if we took that to another level? Come on, what if we refused to just become a Sunday morning fill-me-up kind of church? What if this was the place that we gathered in the locker room, got a pep rally, and we went out there and tore up the devil? Come on, everybody. What if that's what it looked like? And um, I started thinking, you know, some of the things I've shared with you that are on our heart. I was with a pastor here in town, and they're doing an incredible job um, helping foster parents. And I, I found out the statistics through this pastor, how many kids are, um, uh, are uh, aging out of foster care. And they're, they're literally, we've had some that would come here before the pandemic, and I didn't make the connection until I talked to a couple of these teenagers, and I talked to this pastor, and there are, there are kids that are really trying. I'm not talking about the kids that are being rebellious, and I'm not talking about the kids that are, you know, doing all the naughties. I'm talking about kids that are really trying to finish high school, and they age out by no fault of their own. They don't have parents, and they age out. There's no more funding, and many of them are finding themselves on the streets right here in our community. I thought, well, what could it look like there might be a there might be a dorm mom and dad sitting right here in this place said you know what I'll be a mom and daddy to those teenagers I'll be the I'll be the house mama I'll be the house daddy we'll buy a house we'll buy a building man we might even buy a hotel so that forever those that want to do good we allow them to can we just dream a little bit because we serve a big God everybody Come on, do you believe that we serve a big God? I like the little part. I love how Pastor Tommy talked about it. When the oil stopped flowing. See, when we stop pouring out, that's, that, that's what oftentimes churches start because they're reaching people. But then we get comfortable in ourselves and we stop reaching out and we start getting inward focus. I'm going to use an old churchy word, all right? Revival happens as long as we pour into people. As long as we pour in to the empty people. You know why people are so bent out of shape about the politics? Because that's their hope. They're empty and they're looking for somewhere. They're looking for the White House. They're looking for a president. They're looking for somebody to rescue them. Maybe we should turn them away from the White House and to the church house, everybody. Maybe we ought to pour into them. And you know, nobody has demonstrated this more. No, I'll tell you, Pastor Tommy taught me, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt day, and heal it. One day, the superintendent of the Assemblies of God, nationwide, George Wood, never visited this campus. He came because he wanted to visit with me. And when he drove up to this campus, he said, I'm the biggest fool. I'm embarrassed. How can I ask him what I'm going to ask him? He said, the place looked like the Taj Mahal. And he said, L.A. has everything but a great church. The largest church in L.A. County was 500 people. It says it leads the world in almost anything L.A. does. It's the fifth largest economy in the world, larger than France's economy but they don't have a great church. I believe that God wants you to leave here and go there. And I said, get behind me, devil. Amen. He said, would you just pray about it? I did. I go over to CDLA and get depressed. Five years went by. And finally, God spoke to me and said, look, you can spend your day off over there in an extra day, two days out of the seven. 
And I went to my board, and they agreed totally. But we needed a pastor. I invite all the big-time pastors and evangelists, and on the phone, they got excited. I can pretty well articulate a wonderful dream. But when they saw the area, they got very spiritual on me and said, I don't believe that God's calling me to this area. Amen. I couldn't get a good preacher, so I got my son, Matthew. Amen. The miracle was in the house. Come on, say a good amen. The miracle was in the house. I'll never forget the first day that I took him to the little ghetto church. They had about 25 people, and they were all older people in their 80s. Most of them didn't speak much English. They were Filipinos. Wonderful people, just great people. And I remember as I waved goodbye to Matthew, and he was standing on the front steps of that little church. And I looked back in the mirror, and that's the whitest kid in all of L.A., amen. Matter of fact, Alvin Slaughter, the great African-American singer, was our first guest at the Dream Center. <laughs> and he told me later, he said, your son is the whitest kid I've ever seen. He called him Casper the Friendly Ghost, amen. <laughs> As I pulled away, and I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw the little boy. He never pastored, no experience, didn't speak their language. He's young and they're old. He's 20 and they're in their 80s. And suddenly it hit me. I've set this boy up for failure. There is no way that he could succeed. And I'm going to run him for life, take his vision, his dream away, and maybe make him better. I got on the plane, flew home. Hardly had I landed. And the phone rang and it was Matthew. Dad, he said something terrible happened. No sooner than you pulled out of the parking lot, I heard shots. I ran to the front of the church, and there was a 14-year-old man sliding down the steps, the blood pouring out of his chest, and he died in my arms, a victim of gang violence. Dad, what shall I do? I didn't know. I said, son, I've never been in a predicament like this. I just don't know. That night he went to his youth group, they hadn't even had a Sunday service yet. And he said to the six young people that were there, I don't know what to do. You know what happened today. We've got to do something. I don't know what to do. But my dad always taught me, when you don't know what to do, take an offering. Amen. <laughs> and they took an offering and got about $30. And Matthew went across the street where the little boy lived and knocked on the door. And his beautiful little mother, precious Hispanic lady, came to the door. And he said, it's not much, but we love your son. And we took up a little offering to help you on the funeral. And she began to weep and said, please come in, Padre. He'd never been called Padre before, but he went inside. It was filled with gang members, and they would run to her. And they would say, we're sorry. And she would slap them and curse them and say, it's you guys who got my son killed. You're the guys that got him killed. Matthew said tension was high, and I felt led to leave. And I got to the door, and he put his hand up on the knob. But that moment, somebody slapped him on the shoulder, spun him around. He's looking out the meanest gang member that he's ever seen. 
he told me he felt like singing, Lord, I'm coming home. Amen. But he said, Padre, before you go, would you pray for us? And Matthew joined hands with 10 gang members in the middle and began to pray. And then the fullness came upon me. He prayed, God, in Jesus' name, I rebuke this demon of murder and violence. I come against it. And man, he was getting bold and all at once. On his left hand, the hand squeezed tight and the right hand. And he knew that he was going to kill him. He's going to end up in Fox's Book of Martyrs. Amen. But when he finished, they took his hands and raised them up with theirs and said, you're one of us. And he led them all in the sinner's prayer. Come on, give the Lord a good clap off right now. You talk about excited. He called me on the phone and said, Dad, I've discovered something. I've discovered that you can't fight love. I'm going to love these people like they've never been loved. Um, boy, I like that last line. We don't have to be Bible scholars. We don't have to speak all the languages. We don't have to be trendy. We don't have to be cool. Let's just love people. You know, there's miracles sitting right in this house. There's miracles watching online. As I look around this room, I think of just some of the things that God has done in people's lives. And, um, and you might be sitting there going, man, you know, I feel like I have this dream in my heart, but, but I don't know how to do that. I'm waiting for God to open a door. Hey, here's just a thought. Maybe God's waiting for you to open a door. Maybe God's power and God shows up after we get in the race and step out in faith because it takes faith. He's a rewarder of those. Let me give you these real quick. I'll end with these. I won't preach them. But if you're struggling a little bit with, man, how do I know God's put it on my heart? How do I know the dream is God? Number one, the dream is bigger than you. It's got to be bigger than you. you got, whatever God's putting in your heart, if it's you, you are already figuring out how you can do it. If it's God, it'll be like, I don't know how in the world we're going to pull this off. When I got raised to start this church, I'm telling you, I had already been in ministry over 25, almost 30 years by then. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was a big, I don't know, God, how am I going to do this? It, the dream never works on paper. Number two. The second one is uh, you're willing to give your life for the dream. It's just like you can't let it go. I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to give my life for the dream. And, um, and I'll just tell you this, and I don't know if we'll leave this in the video or not, but I'll tell you guys. Me and my wife, we interviewed in some pretty prestigious churches all around America. And I thought, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm 50 years old at the time, and I wouldn't mind being a pastor of a church, and I'm too old to go and start a church and start all over and had all the excuses. But I knew I had unfinished business right here. And when God puts it on your heart, you're willing to give your life for the dream. You're willing to say no to a lot of other things because you've got to say yes to the right thing. Come on, does that make sense, everybody? Come on now, right? Number three. This is the last one, number three. And number three is you can't let the dream go. It just haunts you. One year passes and two years pass and three years pass and four years pass and, and it's still there. You see, if you have an idea and six months later your friends and your family and you yourself have talked yourself out of it, it probably wasn't God's dream. But if God put a dream in your heart, you just can't let it go. 
First you get a hold of a dream, and then the dream will get a hold of you. Wow. Tony, I'm sorry. I don't want to embarrass you. I keep looking over here at you. You're one of the miracles in this house. You're one of the miracles. And I don't even think we've seen yet what God's going to do in you and through you. How many believe that with me right now? Right, everybody? And you might be saying, well, my chance has passed, or I'm not a preacher, or I'm not a, I'm not a whatever it is, and you can fill in all the blanks, but I want every one of you to consider, what do you have in your house? I'm a good talker. Great, we need some good talkers. I'm a good listener. We need some good listeners, too. What has God put in your heart? You know, I was going to end right there, but I, I did have one bonus video. Can you handle a three-minute long bonus video? Because this kind of talks about how the Dream Center in L.A. started. Now listen, we don't have to go to Colorado City. We don't have to go to L.A. We don't have to go somewhere else to be a part of something big. Right here, the needs are all around. And usually the needs are the things we drive around complaining about. Usually the thing that irritates you is a sign of where your gifting is. When you walk into church and there's something about the church you don't like, it might be because you're anointed to do something about it. When you drive through the city and you're irritated about something in the city, it might be because, see, some people can drive through the city and it never bothers them to see such and such. But when you drive through, it drives you crazy. It might be because God has given you the eyes to see what others drive right past. All right, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. But here's what I've been praying. And this has just been reignited in me since COVID. I believe that every single person that's been showing up here, God has orchestrated for you to be here. Because I believe that not during this time of COVID, we're supposed to be waiting around for things to get back to normal. No, no. I think catapult is, I, I think COVID is the catapult that we will, uh, that's the foundation that's going to catapult us to what God really has for radius this whole year 2020 i said lord it was a little cheesy i'll admit but i said lord in 2020 let my vision be 2020 i want to see what we're going to do and then covid hit oh lord uh, i didn't mean take away my vision but i think it's right in the middle of problems that you reevaluate come on friends don't sign up for radius if you just want to come hear a message on sunday what would happen if we linked arms together and you used your gifts and we used the platform, not for Ken to come and preach, but we use this platform, this gathering for you, it to be your platform to do what God's put in your heart. Come on, let's watch this last video and then I'll pray and we'll go home. Our church began to explode. We didn't know how to reach the city. We had just bought the Queen of Angels Hospital. We didn't have enough money. They wanted like $15 million. But we offered them 3.9, and they, they said, we'll take it. But we sold our little ghetto place that we were going to build apartments on it, and we got 500000 And we gave them 500000 made a deal that in a year and a half, we would give them the remainder, what, $3.4 million. I didn't have the foggiest idea where it was going to come from. But I got on national television, TBN, and said, look, we don't know how to reach this city. If any of you know how to reach it, please come and help us. A little fellow showed up and said, look, I've been going down Sunset Boulevard every Friday night. There are boys and girls who came to be movie stars, and they run out of money. They're sleeping under bridges and sleeping in trash containers. 
He said, I lead them to Christ, and I take them, and the only place I can take them is to my garage, but it's full, and my wife's about to leave me. She didn't want all those people in her garage. And I said, silver and gold have I none, but I do have 15 stories and 1,400 rooms, and I gave him a floor. And soon that floor was filled to capacity, and they kept growing, and we gave them two floors. Another person showed up and said, Pastor Barnett, every Friday night, I go down Sunset Boulevard armed with red roses, and now every Friday night, at midnight, we sent out 60 kids armed only with red roses, and they find these little girls that have been used up all night. The pimps have used them. They're depressed. They're burdened. They're enslaved. And we give them a rose and say, you're as beautiful as this rose. And her little heart is touched. And then we tell her the story about the rose of Sharon, how he would change her life completely. And the little girl cries, and we most of the time are able to lead them to Christ. And then we say, would you like to get away from this way of life? And the little girl said, yes. Well, we've got a place that you could go, and we will feed you and clothe you and house you and protect you and help you get a job, and it won't cost you anything. Her little face lights up. Come on, right now, we'll take you. And suddenly that joy leaves in fear. And she said, I'd like to, but my pimp. He'll kill you and kill me. No. We say, if you really mean business, just stand here on this corner, and we'll go get our van, and we'll, in about 10 minutes, come by, slow down, slide it open, you jump in. And 10 minutes later, not knowing if she'll be there, she's there. The door is open. The little girl jumps in. The pimp runs and gets in his car, and the chase is on. But what that old pimp doesn't realize is we got 200 men at the Dream Center barely out of prison and barely saved. Amen. Sometime you got to go gangster. Come on, say a good amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a good hand clap? And let me tell you, there's not one single bit of that that's exaggerated. I've been there many times. I've talked to those people. I've preach there to them. And you know what? God's no respecter of persons. We not, might not be in a city as big as L.A., but I promise you every one of those needs that he just talked about is alive and well right here in our community. And so the question is, are we just going to keep on doing church like normal? Are we going to keep saying, Lord, let us get back to normal so we can come fill up? Or are we going to be the church that says, Lord, right now when the needs are the biggest, when America's in the greatest turmoil, when there's more homelessness, when there's more hopelessness, when there's more hurt, when there's more confusion. God, thank you that we have a place we can come get filled up. Lord, I want to be the miracle in the house and go get spilled out. They're all around us. Let me ask a question and let me close with this. If you're willing to be the miracle in the house and you're willing for God to speak to you, the miracle could be a little idea. The miracle could be a gift. The miracle could be a talent. The miracle could be an offering. God's put talent in some people that have just done amazing finances. 
But if you're willing to be the miracle in the house, I want you to stand with me all over this place. And I want to pray. If you're willing to be the miracle in the house, Father, tonight, God, I'm looking for, you're looking, you've put a seed of greatness in every one of us. And Lord, I can almost hear the argument, well, I'm too old now, my season has passed. But I believe if you're still breathing, it because it means God's not done with you. And you say, well, you don't know what I've been through. I'm dealing with so much hurt and discouragement. Do you know God can take that hurt and that pain and that discouragement and your misery might be your ministry? I, I have no idea, but I know this. God has put a seed of greatness inside of every one of you. And if those 30 people in that little coffee shop three and a half years ago, four years ago now, could, could be what this is now, imagine what would happen if the miracles in the house would say, God, I feel like nothing most days, except I know the power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that's living in me. God, would you illuminate my mind? Would you restir that vision? Would you restir that dream? Would you give me a new dream? God, I've been through some things and them old dreams, they, they've died and they're gone and life has changed and things are not working out. Would you put a new dream in our hearts, Father? And I pray, God, as we get ready to enter into this new year and this new season of our church, I pray the miracle. I don't want to keep telling stories of of, uh, of Skip, and, and I don't want to keep telling stories of Lindsay Hunter, and I don't want to keep telling stories of yesterday. God, the, the new stories are sitting right here in this house. The new stories, the new miracles, the new wow factors, God, are watching online right now. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would go and begin to tap us on our shoulder. God, I pray that you would wake us up from our own needs and, and let us see others. God, let us not be just filled up, but let us be spilled out. I pray the miracles in the house would begin to show up. I ask it in Jesus' name. If you believe God's going to do something great through this message, would you give them a good hand clap and say amen? I really believe that, everybody. Come on.